So uh, let, let's go ahead and get to the interview. We now take a look at what's been going on with the left in the UK, where it's been more than six months since the downfall of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. Since then, Labour has taken a turn to the right, electing the centrist Keir Starmer as its leader. To catch up on what Starmer's Labour is like, we interviewed Riley and Hussein from the podcast Trash Future. We started the conversation by asking about the recent leadership contest and why Starmer was able to defeat the Labour left candidate, Rebecca Long-Bailey. Like everything, it sort of feels like ages, so... There's like lots of tiny details, which I definitely have missed. But like my kind of perspective when this happened was like there was a mixture of fatigue in terms of like this was quite like a tough election. It was a winter election. Um, it was one where like lots of labor activists work very hard. And like, um, you know, so I feel that there was a kind of fatigue post defeat, especially because when the defeat happened, um, and because so much of the election was kind of carried out in bad faith, right? Like, and we can see that with like the, the COVID-19 crisis right now, where something like Boris Johnson kind of kind of saying that he's offering universal internet or kind of widespread internet to people, uh, to parents who are trying to educate their kids. And just like a few months ago, this was considered like magic grandpa Jeremy Corbyn, like promising nothing and trying to turn the country into Venezuela. So I feel like a lot of it was just kind of people being, people kind of, just being very tired and trying to recover from it. And then the stuff with Rebecca Long Bailey, I think was, you know, there was a mixture of people who were very enthused by her as being like a more modern and kind of um, maybe more palatable face of kind of the sort of like Corbyn light project from my from where I was standing. But I think there were also people who were just very much like the Corbyn project was so specific and it was specific to a particular moment. And anything like Rebecca, what we found with the candidates, including Rebecca Long-Bailey, was that the leadership contest was very much more about like a recon trying to reconcile these kind of split sides of the Labour Party, the Labour right and the Labour left together. So as a result, they were, you know, she was kind of offering concessions which seemed to undermine lots of what the Corbyn activist, mo like Corbyn movement, momentum and stuff, had been really working towards for a long time. Um, but it doesn't explain like why I feel like the stuff of Keir Starmer kind of came very naturally after i don't think there was like a specific moment which kind of made people go towards keir starmer but i feel like it was a mixture of stuff and a lot of that just came from like left fatigue so i'll kind of leave it there right now and i'm sure we'll speak about the specifics more yeah i think there's something to understand as well about how the labor party works right like because for a very long time i i sort of look at the, the main division in british politics actually being between um the, the far right of the conservative party and then more or less everyone else. And one of the things that's been happening over the last sort of 20 years is that instead of the consensus being between the vast majority of the Labour Party, uh, except for the Socialist Campaign Group, um, of which like Jeremy Corbyn was a member, like the left of the Labour Party, which was always a sort of um, a minor, minor uh, element of the, of the party, or at least it has been in the last like recent memory. Um, there was a vast British consensus, and one of the developments over the last, uh, not five years since the referendum was called, but probably about 10 or 15 or so, has been that, that uh, oh shit, I'm sorry, I just left this door open, I have to close it, one sec. <laughs> <laughs> close that door. 
I, I'm sorry, you might have to edit that. I'm just I, I'm very loud and I wake people up in my house. That's okay. So, that's so okay. You got to close the door. You never know when a uh, yeah. when a nonce is going to walk in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, so I'll go up about 15 years. But then about 15 years ago, not five when they called the referendum. It's been going on for a while. That center of gravity of British politics has shifted, and it's pushed the cleavage. And the thing is, Brexit has pu- has thrown the cleavage over between the left of the Labour Party and then the right of the Labour Party, and then more or less everyone else who are more in uh, in, in agreement. And so the left, the, the, if the, there is real irreconcilable difference between the, what the left of the Labour Party wants and the right of the Labour Party wants, and the left of the Labour Party has really never understood that. And so Rebecca Long-Bailey running as, a, running as the okay, well, we need as the unity of extending the olive branch from the left to the right, basically was like, but was trying to sue for peace from a position of, of, of weakness. So there was, and I think the, the labor right knows very much that when it has its chance to solidify its grasp over the institution of the party, it's going to do it. So, I mean, the fact is, right, there has, and that's the same mistake Corbyn made. He was like, well, I can deal with Tom Watson. I can deal with the, the HQ staff. I can bring them round to the project. And, you know, I think one of the things Rebecca Long Bailey did was didn't learn that lesson. Fucking hell, everyone else did. Um, and as, as sort of off of the back of that, right, we sort of had a, you know, what was a relatively, I would say, um, sort of flaccid campaign uh, from the labor left. And the thing to remember about Corbyn as well is that he's not a product of the labor left. His leadership is not a product of the labor left. His leadership is a product of, like, a, a multi-decade-long uh, anti-austerity, like anti-globalization, WTO, and anti-war movement, sort of all coming to a head and becoming pro- and becoming popular and finding political expression in the Labour Party. The Labour Left is not a strong, coherent, or si- or monolithic group. It's actually very, very weak and almost always has been, like since Tony Benn. Hmm. I know it's pretty. Uh lame and superficial to compare U.S. and British politics, but the way you just broke everything down and the cleavages that you described sound extremely fucking familiar uh, over here. And uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, what what does left labor do to to build power? I mean, we we're in the same same question here about like whether the Democratic Party is even worth trying to work with um, or if it's time to begin the, the process of trying to build something new or, or remake something new. Uh, mm. I know that the party structure over there is different and there's more, I guess, buy-in to, to the parties there. Uh, how, how do you answer these questions about how the left works within the Labor Party now that the Labor Party has basically said they don't want you? I feel like I, and again, I'm only like speaking for kind of my experience here. It's one where it sort of looks like there are some people who are saying, but well, like we need some sort of left presence in the Labour Party if like all the kind of achievements that were made under the Corbyn, like under the, uh, under like Corbyn's leadership and, you know, mainly like and most of those achievements from uh, to most people like are about conversations, right? Like conversations about austerity, conversations about wealth inequality, conversations about social inequality. Like there are lots of kind of pundits in this country who are kind of like, well, 
you know, the Corbyn project didn't work because otherwise he would have won. And like, they kind of don't understand, but like, you know, politics kind of exists like outside yeah. of um, demo, outside a of like, you know, a, a child's understanding of politics. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I feel like there are kind of some leftists who are sort of, so, sort of saying like, don't give up like your membership of the Labour Party. Like, okay, we may not kind of be on board of Keir Starmer for stuff, but we sort of need to act as like at least some sort of pressure. Otherwise, like the Labour right will have their day. And more importantly, we'll just continue losing. Right. Um, I think there's like lots of others, um, people who kind of, you know, were mobilized under Corbyn for the first time who are now kind of thinking, well, you know, we could accept like a Corbyn loss if it meant that we were working towards something bigger. But the kind of it's not just even the election of Keir Starmer, but it's sort of like his kind of first moves and like just the kind of real lackluster energy that sort of like exudes from him um, kind of indicates that actually like if we want sort of like a leftist, if we if we're kind of pursuing a leftist culture, like maybe that has to exist outside of the Labour Party. Yeah, I absolutely I think that's, um, you know, pretty, pretty right. I mean, the um the, the idea, right, and I, I go back and forth on this, is that the enduring achievement of um, the enduring achievement of Corbynism, you could say, is the UK's furlough scheme, where um, the, the the government has elected to just uh, completely like just print, basically print its way out of the crisis, um, where we're just printing money and paying people eighty percent of their salaries to stay in work, and a big part of that is that. Um, like one of the things Corbyn did was he broke the there is he broke the idea that there is no alternative to austerity that the idea that the role of a state is to manage the decline and decay of public services until they can be taken over by a much better private provider, and he 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 it was in 2017 that that basically became um, an unpopular idea to the point where like you you now. Again, you, you, I'm not saying the conservatives are doing anything like a left project uh, at all. It's you're uh, getting your wallet inspected if you think that is the case. But what they are doing is they are pursuing a response to the coronavirus crisis that is not as immediately damaging as it could have been under an austerian government like under like you know Cameron or Clegg or whatever, who would have thought, well, how can we use the private market? to try and encourage people to get back into jobs they can telecommute from or whatever. It would have been a complete fiasco. And again, this is what we have in, in, this, in the UK. It's quite simply not as much of a fiasco as most of what's going on in the States. And I don't think it's specifically because Corbyn did one particular thing. I think it's that the enduring achievements of his political lifespan, if you like, are more imminent. They're more... They are they are more in in terms of um, having changed the idea of what's politically feasible and possible, and a large part of that was actually building a great deal of electoral power around something that was pretty much unthinkable. But now you'll see um, one of the one of these things that I find quite disappointing is that um, much of Starmer's opposition in the um, in in the in in the in the sort of COVID. Uh, saga has been around has been quite lawyerly because he was a director of public prosecution so he was a cop uh he was like king king <laughs> cop he was knighted for services to the law so it's like yeah we've got we, we were like yeah don't worry we will we, we're gonna come back from like the you know the anti-war campaigner uh we're gonna get all the people who now think the labor party is literally a branch of isis we're gonna get them back round by getting a knighted judge dread 
um, <laughs> but with like logic to be uh, in charge. And so he took a very lawyerly approach and he said, we want the government to um, to uh, publish its exit strategy for the lockdown because we don't think you've thought this through. And then the government was just like, OK, we don't care. We're going to pump more money into the economy. And then um, now what they're doing is they're trying to point out various times that Boris Johnson lied to the House of Commons, and which I think is a crime. Um, in like February about what the preparations were of the virus again while the Tories are just pumping more money into the economy and so you know they're the Tories are have realized that what they can do they have they have now credit for two of the most wildly popular policies in the history of like modern and since like Brexit um, and you know they're just able to pump money into the economy and and like keep people safe by like keeping this lockdown even if it's not very not a very well thought out one and Keir Starmer's over here, and he's basically, he's like, how can I be the biggest tattletale nerd uh, in opposition? <laughs> it kind and of he's like... still, and he's still getting um, videos edited of him by like, right-wing blogs saying like, oh, I let the Nazis out on the street, so I did, because I think <laughs> Nazis run the country. And they're still editing videos of him. There's still like there's still like, an, an article was written in the Telegraph by Thatcher's biographer about how oh he's doing a classic opposition trick of saying the government's doing wrong, you know it's like it's none of this is working, or at least mm -hmm. if it's working then it's not, it's not having the immediate effect they thought it did. And before I, I hand back over to Hussein, like don't get me wrong, like I think I I'd, I'm not I I would rather be wrong about Keira Starmer. And have a Labour government elected on something like the 2017 manifesto, even if it's being implemented by people I personally dislike. I'd rather be proven wrong about that than be proven right. It's just I, I, I don't see him like, like the reason that they one of the big reasons the Tories didn't knock the, the furlough scheme down from paying 80 percent of your wages to 60 percent of your wages wasn't Keir Starmer, who didn't effectively oppose it. It was unions. It was unite. And now they're trying to, like, get tell the teachers to say it's time to be heroes for the nation. And <laughs> I don't I just don't think it's. Yeah, they, they've said they said so, the teachers so are wait, troops. Wait, 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 pause for a sec. So yeah, teacher teachers unions are opposing the uh, lifting of lockdown measures and Keir Starmer's labor is trying to lecture them and say uh, stiff upper lip. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I went. I went through too many topics at once. We'll pause. No, uh, Keir Starmer. The the they were, the Tories are trying to push different sectors back to work, and Keir Starmer is opposing either different elements of what they're doing because it's not consistent, or accusing Boris Johnson of having lied several months ago. Right, right, right. I I was gonna say, but like, um, and this sort of like feeds in as well, which is that this is. The, the headline that like teachers need to go back to work and to, like teachers who are like the new heroes and stuff like that that just like came out now but it's been like this kind of dialogue that's sort of been happening this week where um it's kind of been a mixture of like right-wing columnists who realize that like despite all their bleating about wanting traditional families back they actually like really hate their kids and like hate cleaning up after them and we don't know how to use like toilet brushes it's, and it's stuff so like that funny. Um, which is great discourse, which I've been told we're not allowed to talk about on our own show. So I'm talking about it here. Um, <laughs> some very special Twitter, Twitter discourse about how um, Tory parents yeah. like are too busy writing columns to uh, to clean up after their like fail kids um, when they should <laughs> don't shit flush their pants. the toilet. 
Yes. <laughs> like my kids um, can't flush the toilet. The point that I was the point that I was going to make though was that from kind of like my understanding of like how the labor communication has been during this time bearing in mind that like this is a government that is like supremely fucked it like we're one of the very few countries in the world where like our curve is still going up in terms of infections um and all the pundits are basically saying is like well either like the data is wrong or it doesn't matter because we not, like need our treats back but the way that like Keir Starmer's like labor has sort of communicated all this has been more of like do you remember back in like 2017 when like every news news outlet just decided to have like a fact checking service where they were going to like fact check fact check trump out of the office and everything i guess like some still do and it sort of feels like they've taken the fact check thing which was already like not effective and wasn't working and no one gave a shit and it was like super slow and like just really ineffective and they decided well why don't we just like make a political party out of this mm -hmm. so and yeah go ahead go ahead uh you, you mentioned uh, a bit about how Keir Starmer is playing nice uh, and still getting attacked by the right uh, despite that. But um, how is other than, I guess, these these, you know, typical right wing figures, how is the, the general media, which I get is a right wing figure in it of itself over there treating Starmer compared to how they treated Corbyn? Oh, fine uh, so far. I Right. Like. Like so, there are some some of these sort of uh, stories that are getting cooked up on like right wing blogs and stuff are are actually that uh, Starmer is pro pedophile. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I probably don't think he is. Um, <laughs> or that's yeah, as as far as I'm willing to go though. Um, our other ones are that. There's going to be a picture of him with Epstein that's going to pop up right when you defend him. <laughs> uh, or, or another one where, like, he was – because we have this clap for carers thing where everyone on Thursday nights goes and applauds for the NHS. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's fucking horrifying. What, they have, like, donut boats doing donuts in the Thames. Again, not a joke. They actually do that. <laughs> um, and here Starmer went out to clap, uh, and he was being filmed by a TV crew. Then he turned to the, the side – and said, uh, do you have what you need? And then the right-wing media kind of jumped at this, like, oh, Keir's only clapping for the cameras. He actually hates our brave NHS, which is troops now, by the way. Um, and then it transpired that he was just, like, talking to his kid who was coming up the drive or whatever. And it's like, you can see the, the usual suspects are doing all of this. Um, and, you know, none of it's stuck yet because, I don't know, I personally, I think it's because they don't see him as a, they don't really see him as a threat, even if he does get in. Um, I, I I don't think it's going to be quite as I don't I don't look I don't think the monstering of Starmer is going to be quite as bad. But like again, I think you can't overestimate the fact that like the media spent the last um, the Guardian too as well, right? They spent the last sort of you know four years convincing the country that labor is just a branch of ISIS. So you know I mean I don't know how you come back from that with um, you know a slick haircut and. You know, people describing you as forensic. I mean, I was I was going to say that like media, the media like reaction to him has been like largely timid for the most part. But like the fact that like the whole nonce thing, I think, is really going to get him. And there's a reason for this, which is that like out of all the fucking like news, big news stories that happen in the UK and the fact that like, in my opinion, as someone who's worked in media for a long time, 
lots of people are just like very apathetic to things like you know the consequences of austerity or like Grenfell or the Windrush scandal like all this stuff is still ongoing or like Tory Islamophobia or even kind of like anti-semitism right this is stuff that like people generally have like a very limited capacity to kind of understand let alone like mobilize um or like the media kind of like you it's it's like low priority over the media but the thing I notice that British people really get angry about is the grooming gang scandal like the grooming gang scandal is like this huge thing in like right wing circles and every time like the mirror that like still does stories about like you know they cover like the grooming gang scandal cases um and for like your listeners who don't know like the grooming gang scandal is like this ongoing um is ongoing set of trials in which like there were networks of child grooming gangs across the country that were like grooming young girls and there's like a racial dimension to this as well where lots of people in these grooming gangs came from South Asian heritage and lots of the victims were young white women who lived, young white girls who lived in like village, you know, a town, like former steel towns in the North. So there's like a racial dimension to this as well, which kind of really mobilizes people because it kind of combines all the things that a lot of British people are really interested in, i.e. pedophilia and racism. Um, so the fact that like he, the fact that he's sort of been like the fact that like the one scandal that like he's kind of been caught up in and will continue to catch up with him, will catch up in is like the one that mobilizes like the mo like the majority of the worst people in this country is like not good. I feel like with the Corbyn stuff, there was so much shit that was like thrown to the wall. Some of it stuck, like the anti-Semitism stuck like a lot. Um, some of the other stuff was just like beyond ridiculous and sort of kind of made good content for our show for a long time um so i don't i don't know whether like the kind of like apathy towards starmer is necessarily a good thing and then my final point i'm going to make is just that like for the most part the pundit class have sort of either been lukewarm to him basically saying that well you may be like forensic which is the term that they like to use but that doesn't necessarily mean effectiveness but also lots of the pundits are very friendly with boris johnson because boris johnson used to be the editor of the spectator and therefore is part of like a class of journalists where access was everything right so like lots of journalists i like know of and everything they were very excited when johnson kind of came into government because they were calling him like a pro-media politician and almost like the antithesis of jeremy corbyn who like wasn't necessarily as warm to mainstream media and kind of was much more receptive to indie outlets and left-wing publications and left-wing broadcasting channels are there any final thoughts that you guys wanted to, yeah. to wrap up with i do actually um I, I want because there's just an article that's been published today on like Labor List, which is like an internal labor magazine, uh, which is uh, the labor front bench housing minister has written an article entitled cancel the rent policy would be very unlabor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so labor is like and, and so, you know, we are I mean, it, it is a time now is a time of monsters, right, where we are where everything everything is possible and. You know, on the one hand, the shadow chancellor, Annalise Dodds, I actually think has been doing a pretty good job of flatly refusing any kind of return to to austerity, refusing to even countenance it, right? And enough Tory MPs know that. I mean, they will never vote against Boris Johnson, what am I saying? But, like, at, at the same time, we have, like, labor frontbenchers who have written an article that said, because this is... um basically labor's proposal for renters during the coronavirus crisis is that they should have their rent deferred that they had then have two years to pay back arrears that they accrue while they're unemployed um and they said to cancel the rent they said and this is i'm quoting from uh thangam debonair the the front bench mp who said this from bristol i think the policy called cancel the rent is surprisingly on labor and it's very regressive 
because, for instance, there are people who are still in work, still able to pay your, their rent. And if you just canceled rent, they would also benefit and they don't need to. And it's not even like at this point <laughs> government resources that are going to benefit someone. The normal, again, bad faith, shithead, awful, uh, in disproven means testing argument doesn't even apply here. Because it's like, oh, you're canceling their rent. Well, they don't need to not pay their rent. But their landlord definitely does need it. She says, I have a flat in London, which all MPs who don't live in London need to have. It would cancel my rent. That would be completely unnecessary, really regressive, and not targeted at the people who need it most. Um, whether you like it or not, whether we think it's moral or not, there is a legal structure underneath this, which is a tenant has signed a contract with the landlord. And there you go. That is, that is a resurgent force in the Labour Party who believes that the politically possible is what it says in the rule book. Um, yeah. Well, landlords rights. Yeah. It's, it's literally the landlord landlords. Uh, the bill of rights applies to landlords too. Yeah. That sounds, yeah. that sounds pretty awful over there, but, uh, let me know when, uh, your central bank creates a program to give uh, long-term low cost loans to landlords, uh, during the pandemic, uh, while also uh, not canceling rent. Yeah, that's what we're doing right. over here. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do you one better. <laughs> How about this? A 40-year policy of, 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 subsidi of subsidizing buy-to-let landlords by selling every single publicly owned house. <laughs> yeah, that's bad, too. <laughs> Top that, motherfucker. <laughs> that's 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 what happens when we get the folks from trash future on the show we uh we compare our trash futures <laughs> that's right <laughs> hey uh it, i think it would be nice if we had an nhs that republicans would pretend they're the troops i think that there's there is a little something to be said uh for, for britain right now in yeah. so far as you have an nhs at least you have an nhs to clap for yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's right. I think you got us on that one. What I find so funny is that they are turning every profession who's at risk from coronavirus because, like, you can't value someone under the under their under the schema that we seem to be living under. You can't value someone unless they're putting their life on the line for you. And then it's important you never give them anything. But it's also important that you like um do lots of increasingly sort of hysterical performative gestures to show how much you appreciate what they volunteered to do and crucially volunteered to do it. You didn't agree to get paid. Right. In fact, if anything, as a banker, I have to deal with all this money. I have to deal with the soul deadening nature of the fact that I'm not going out and helping people. So if anything, you're richer in spirit. So you don't have to I mean, paid. there's kind of like a mix of two things. There's one where it's like, well, it wasn't that long ago where like junior doctors were on strike and you had like, you had columnists in the Daily Mail who were basically saying that, like, we need to kind of, you know, if these if these doctors are protesting, we need to, like, strike them off because how can we trust them? Um, it wasn't that long ago where, like, a doctor was doxxed by um, a site called Guido Fawkes because he happened to, like, support Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you know, so it wasn't that long ago when all this stuff happened. But I think, like, there's another thing, too, which is that for all these, like, media types and, like, the media class, like, the kind of highest accolade they imagine is a troop right because it kind of feeds into like um something that riley talks about a lot on the show and we talk about a lot about um what kind of london-based writers and columnists imagine like the rest of britain is and like what they believe and what they respect and kind of what they kind of define the country as and i feel like 
they often it often comes down to like well everyone wants to be a troop because we would want to be troops and our dads wanted us to be troops and we just weren't like cut out for it so now you know we're going to pathologize and let you know project that kind of fantasy onto everyone else and how can you like not consider that to be a compliment like do you not see troops like they wear medals and everything that's really cool right i respect if the I, troops I, uh... I respect the troops the people who smoke weed at work <laughs> that's right if i die uh, know that there will be some corner of tesco that is forever england <laughs> yeah that's right that's right i next 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 time i pop around the tesco i'll pick up some tins and pour them out for my buddies at the district sentinel <laughs> appreciate it dolce et decorum s pro sainsbury's morai <laughs> Uh, Vinny Vidi Waitrose. All right. Uh, maybe we should uh, end on that. Do you want to plug uh, the Trash Future? I'm sure all our listeners by now uh, have listened, and uh, Nate's pr a prior appearance on our show has probably turned them all into dedicated listeners. But in case they are not dedicated listeners, where can they listen to the Trash Future? Dedicated. Yeah. Uh, well, hey. You can you can find us wherever wherever you get podcasts. I except, except SoundCloud. You can find us anywhere except SoundCloud because that's like a, a whole other thing to upload to that. That's our um, territory, but, yo. That's our yeah. territory. Get off our turf. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't want what's called over here a postcode war. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we uh, uh, but you can find us there. You you know what it is. Uh, we 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 just make fun of um, some British politics, but mostly we just look at. I think we, we, we look at um, increasingly like the private sector and how they're going completely apeshit. We recently did a, a premium episode that I've been thinking about for ages, which is about how there is a company that is doing the same thing that banks did to securitize mortgages in 2008, but it's doing it for companies' supply chains, um, oh, huge wow. companies, and it's a totally unregulated market. So uh, we have no idea how many supply chains around the world are securitized, but like many big companies have upwards of like 20% of their whole supply chains now just being traded as assets by like Credit Suisse and stuff. So uh, we're talking a lot about the next financial crisis uh, that's not even going to be brought about by coronavirus. By the way, oh, here's here's the last uh, our policies are worse than your policies thing. <laughs> supply chain finance, that, was, that, that thing I was just mentioning is really popular in the UK. And uh, the government has tacitly acknowledged that a lot of the money it's printing is just going to be going directly into keeping financialized supply chains solvent mm. <laughs> that everyone else is going to they're going to make everyone else pay for with austerity later. So it's great. <laughs> well, they've they've, they've made yeah. the deal. Um, they kind of have to keep it solvent now. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Hey, they they signed the contract and no one's ever done anything against a signed contract. That's like uh, it's like when, Fl when Ned Flanders is the devil. You can't get out of it. That's, anyway. That sounds terrible. I know. I know that our uh, all our corporate debt is highly is highly financialized too, and I'm sure there's some uh, logistical shenanigans as part of that. Um, so we might be tied there, but I mean, you're probably worse. I mean, London is the home of a, a proud history of banking shenanigans stretching back into like 160 whatever. So. Oh yeah, we invented shenanigans, and we at Trash View. Hey, you know what? The shenanigans keeps us in content. So, 
who's to say if it's good or bad? Lady, it's however, putting my kids through college. <laughs> however, I can say it was a real a real pleasure to uh, come and talk to you guys today. The yeah, pleasure thanks, was ours. Yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks again to Riley and Hussein, and check out their podcast, Trash Future. 